Let's, let's, let's get ready. Let's stand and, and read the word together. Uh, so if you can, um, open up to Galatians chapter 5. Um, and we're going to look at verses, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, uh, 13, and then 16 through uh, 24. Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 1. Uh, 13, and uh, 16 through 24. And the Lord's word reads, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, ser- but through love serve one another. Y'all can read with me, starting at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you will, today we're going to talk about an authentic freedom, an authentic freedom. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. Uh, May it penetrate our souls. May it cause uh, 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 encouragement, uh, conviction, uh, um, all of the things that you desire for it to do in our lives, and may we be transformed by it. Uh, So, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to minister to your people, Lord. Uh, I pray the words that I speak may be clear. Uh, May they be filled with passion and with purpose. And so uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Uh, One of the things things I love to do in my spare time uh, is uh, I love to watch uh, the Animal Planet uh, and Discovery Channel. Um, I just have a... a, uh, I have a fascination with watching uh, big wild animals kill other wild animals. For some strange reason, I just enjoy that. I think it's a little manly just to watch something just strangle something else and then swallow it whole or, or butcher it with this. I don't know. Okay. Uh, but either way, I was watching uh, Animal Planet one time, and there was a documentary on about elephants. Uh, and in the midst of this documentary, there was a piece of it where they began to talk about how circus elephants are trained, 
right? And so uh, the way that they, they train circus elephants is uh, while they're young, while they're really young, they take a, a big thick chain and tie it around its back leg, and then they take a, a, a huge metal stake and, and drive it deep into the ground. Uh, and so every, every time the elephant begins to move and tug and pull and try to escape and get away, uh, it can't because at that point it's, in its life it's not big enough uh, and, and, and it's not strong enough. And so over time it develops uh, what's called a learned helplessness, uh, which is every time it feels uh, tension uh, on the chain or any time it, it feels uh, a friction or a resistance, it automatically knows that it can't get free. And so it doesn't try to pull further. And so what happens is as this elephant grows up into an adult and it becomes two, three ton elephant, um, we're talking about some huge, right, the biggest, the biggest uh, mammal on earth, right? Uh, what they do now is because this, this elephant has, uh, has uh, ingrained in its mind that it can't get free is now what they do is instead of using big chains, they use little rope and they just tie little ropes around the elephant's leg, and sometimes they even just tie it to the circus tent. And whenever the elephant begins to move, if it feels tension, it automatically stops because it's learned that if I pull, I'm already not going to get free. And so even though the elephant has the power and the strength to get free, it believes the lie that it's bound. And sometimes that's what happens with us as believers, is we've, we, we've been so bound and we've been so defeated uh, by sin, uh, that we believe the lies in our own mind and the lies that the enemy would seek to put in your mind that says that there's no power within you to free you from this bondage. And so that's where we're going to begin here. We're going to begin with, uh, with Paul expressing this freedom that he wants the believers in, at the church in Galatia to experience. He wants them to experience a true freedom in Christ. Just as a little background, what's happening is Paul uh, went and planted this church uh, in Galatia, and he discipled those guys, and, and he left. And so uh, what happened when he left is now some of the Jews had gone back to Galatia. And, and, and what they said was, you, you, can, you can believe in, uh, by faith alone, uh, in grace alone, through Christ alone, and, uh, and you can believe that, but you still need to get circumcised. Uh, you still got to go snippity-snip, right? And so, and so uh, what happened was Paul heard of this, and Paul, if you read uh, chapters 1 through 4, Paul is, Paul is he's angry, because he's like, he's like what, why are you adding now to the gospel and going back under the bondage of the law? It was uh, by uh, grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. And now it's become uh, faith alone by grace alone, Christ alone, plus something else. And so Paul begins to say to them, listen, if that's the case, if you believe that, then I've wasted my time with you. He says, I've, I've wasted my time with you. Uh, because if, if, if you're going to keep the law of being circumcised, then you have to now keep the whole law, the whole law, which means you've fallen away from the grace of Christ, right? And so Paul, uh, uh, Paul that's why Paul comes back in in, in in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set you free, therefore don't again go unto the yoke, the, the yoke of slavery, right? And so when you see this word freedom here, uh, in the scriptures, which he uses in verse 5 and then again in verse 13, it's implied that there was a former bondage or a former uh, enslavement or an informer incarceration. And so now he's saying, listen, don't be like you used to be. Be free in Christ because that's what he secured for you on the cross, right? And so, he's, so the idea of freedom or liberty, as is used, it's, it means the happy state of, being, uh, of having been released from servitude for a life of enjoyment and satisfaction that was not possible before. And so Paul is telling them, listen, before when you were under the law, 
this life that I'm calling you to wasn't possible for you because you couldn't complete the law or you couldn't fulfill the law on your own. But now Christ has fulfilled the law for you, so the life that you can have, I want you to enjoy fully. But now you're trying to subject yourself back to the life where you couldn't really be free because of the law. And so Paul wants them to experience true freedom in Christ and experience what that looks like. Um, and so, uh, so what we get in verses 1 and 13 is we get something, what, what's, what I think is something beautiful, which is called a bound freedom. It's called a bound freedom. And so what happens is, uh, at salvation, Christ's work on the cross, what it secures you, from you, for you is a freedom from uh, sin, death, guilt, and shame. And so when you're freed from that, simultaneously, you're now dropped into slavery to Christ. That's why Paul says, that's why Paul says, I've died to sin, but I'm a slave to Christ. And so simultaneously, there's this idea of even though I'm free to live because Christ has secured my freedom, my freedom isn't just for me because I'm still bound to something else within my freedom. Right? And so what was happening was, so Paul had to, Paul knowing that these are still new believers and how easily, uh, like he says in, verse, in, in chapter, I believe, two or three, he says, who's bewitched you? Paul has to go through all the different dynamics here. And he says, okay, I'm calling you to a real freedom in Christ. And I'm encouraging you to be free in Christ. But I know I'm going to have to be careful of two types of people. I'm going to have to be careful of the type of person that says, okay, now I'm saved and now I don't have to do anything else. And so now they just relinquish responsibility as a Christian. So they say, okay, I'm saved. I trusted Christ. That's good enough for me. And so now you live a, 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 a lazy, uh, sit-on-the-couch Christianity with no type of responsibility whatsoever. No ties to the church. No ties to, no ties to service. Uh, no regard for holiness or righteousness. Because as long as you're saved, that's enough for you. Right? Then there's the other, then there's the other dynamic which says, man, I'm saved, and I can just wall out now. Why? Because God forgives, and I'm going to heaven. And so there's, there's, two, there's the thought of, some, of now I'm saved, so I have no responsibility in Christ, or now I'm saved, now I can indulge in licentiousness. And so Paul has to, Paul has to give very pra- a very practical idea of what it is he means by this freedom he wants them to have and he wants them to be a part of and he wants them to enjoy. So he's saying, be free in Christ because Christ has secured that for you, but don't, lose your, don't use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge in sinful desires, but use it as an opportunity to serve in love. What does that look like? That's why we get to uh, verse 16. So if you will... Uh, first and only point of, of today is going to be um, uh, the authentic, authentic freedom uh, depends on the Spirit. Authentic freedom uh, depends on the Spirit. So verse 16, he says, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, whenever you see this word walk uh, in the Bible, it's, it's referring to uh, a way of living or behaving uh, it means to, it literally means to walk in the tracks of, to follow in the tracks of, uh, to behave in the same manner as someone else, uh, to imitate, to do as someone else has done. And it stands for the whole manner of a man's life and conduct. So Paul is saying, Paul is saying here, I want you to walk by the Spirit. I want you to be an imitator of the Spirit. I want you to do as the Spirit does. 
I want you to be like the Spirit. So what does that mean? That means you need to know how the Spirit operates. What does He like to do? What is He what, like? What is He like? What's His character like? What does He get into in His free time? Like you need to know about the Spirit. You need to be in tune with the Spirit, right? That, that's uh, back in the day. Well, I. I I, never mind. First gathering, I said, I can't say back in the day because that's like the 90s for me, but uh, bear with me. So back, back, in the, back in the day, in the 90s, there was a, um, <laughs> we, we, used to, we used to use a term for imitators. It was, it was stop biting. Like, am I the only one that remembers that? No? Okay. Stop biting. Like, you're, you're, you're biting. Stop biting. It was, it, it was it used in a negative way of somebody who, who couldn't be unique. Like, you had to take what I was doing and try to do it too. Stop trying to be like me, right? But Paul here is saying, he says, I want you to be like the Spirit. I want you to be like him. I want you to imitate what he does, right? And so then he goes on, 16b, he says, I say to you, walk in the Spirit. So be like, imitate the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I love this because Paul here, he, used this, he uses the strongest double negative possible in the Greek. He's, it, it literally means never under any circumstances. So if you walk in the Spirit, if you imitate the Spirit, if you're an imitator of the Spirit, if you are yielding to the Spirit, you will never under any circumstances carry out, gratify, complete, fulfill the desires of the flesh. Do y'all get that? He says, Never under any circumstances. Y'all don't get that. I'll I'll make it real simple. If you're walking in line with the Spirit and your life has been yielded to the Spirit, you don't have to sin. That's going to help somebody today. Because somebody, somebody right now is bound by sin, and you're believing the lie that you have to. And you won't even fight for freedom because you believe the lie that you're going to fail anyway. So it's pointless. You've already failed so many times. You can't, you can't get rid of me. The Bible says, this isn't me talking, the Bible says, if you walk by the Spirit, you don't have to sin. Is that not freeing? Listen, as a believer, as a believer under the law of Christ, you're not mandated to sin any longer. Sin has no power over you. You can say no to sin. Did you, by the power of the Spirit, you can say no to sin. Not under your own strength, but by the power of the Spirit, you can say no to sin. I'm going to keep repeating it because this is the verse that freed me of some bondage in my life. You can say no to sin. That's going to help somebody. You can say no to sin. You don't have to do it anymore. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to be afraid. You can say no to sin. By the power of the Spirit, you can say no to sin. If you walk in the Spirit, but I say walk in the Spirit, and you won't under any circumstances satisfy the flesh. Yeah. 
And we'll, we'll get to what this looks like practically. What, okay, what is the Spirit? Like, if, how do I walk by the Spirit? How do I walk by the Spirit? Because I know somebody's asking that. How do, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? And we're going to get into the, the specifics of what it is the Spirit does, what He looks like, how you know you're walking in the Spirit. We're going to get into that in a second. But, but know the, pri- the Spirit's primary role in your life is sanctification, right? And I'll, I'll give you the definition of that. Sanctification basically is uh, Him making you more, look more like Jesus, right? But this is the, it's the continued transformation of moral and spiritual character, so that the believer's life actually comes to mirror the standing he or she already has in God's eyes. So when you trust Jesus and his righteousness is imputed or given to you freely based on nothing you've done, God now sees you a particular way. And so the spirit, so, so God positionally sees you a particular way. The spirit now, his job is to make your life practically look like what it already looks like positionally in the eyes of God. That's his role in your life. So if you're, if you're fighting the spirit, if you're walking in the flesh, then you're fighting against his primary objection, which is to make you look or to make your life now look like what it looks like already in God's eyes. Right? So if you walk by the Spirit, uh, you won't satisfy uh, the desires of the flesh. One of the issues with this is sometimes we have unrealistic expectations or we put unrealistic expectations on the Spirit. Because many of us as believers, what we do is um, we, we, we put ourselves just close enough to the fire. And then, and, then we, and then we pray that the, the, the Spirit will just take over our limbs and make us move. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you, you know where your weak spots are, yet you continue to get closer and closer and closer. And then you blame God for why you haven't been freed yet. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things uh, you want to do. So the reality is, the reality is that the flesh and the spirit are waging wars. Right now, while you're sitting there, the flesh and the spirit are waging war within you, because it says they're hostile towards one another. They want to make their desires known in you. The spirit wants to make his desires known in you. The flesh wants to make his desires known in you. So even when you think everything is going well, you're at war. And you, you, you've got to be aware of that. You've got to be aware of that because this, the, the flesh, he wants to control your mind. He wants to control your emotions. He wants to control your actions. Like he wants to control everything about you so that, so that you... So the Spirit wants to do the same thing, right? But the Spirit wants to control you to move you towards Christ-likeness. The flesh wants to control you to lead you to death, right? But you've got to be aware that you're, you're constantly at war. That's why Paul says, the very thing I don't want to do, I do. And the very thing I want to do, I can't do. Why? Because you're at war. You, you've, got to, you've got to recognize that. You've got to recognize that. 
So the, 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 the flesh and the spirit are at war, seeking to have their desires known in you, right? Verse 19. Now, uh, sorry, 18, verse 18. Uh, but if you are led by the spirit, uh, you are not under the law. Now, I like, I, like, I like this because in verse 16, he says, he says, but I say walk by the spirit, which implies that the believer has a responsibility to subject himself and yield himself to the spirit's control, right? So in verse 18, it says, if you are led by the spirit, which says what? That the spirit takes an active participation in your life by drawing you once you've submitted and yield yourself. So the great, the great thing about this is when you trust Christ by faith, like, don't think that you have to depend on your works to continue in it. That's the whole point of Galatians. He's saying, if you've trusted God by faith, then you need to continue in that same faith by entrusting yourself to the Holy Spirit. See, I, I, like, the, I like the old church because they used to sing a song. It, it, they used to sing a song. They said, I've come too far by faith. And what was we doing? Leaning on the Lord. Right? See, because they understood they understood that there was, they understood there was a reality. They understood it was a reality of them having to entrust themselves to, to God. They understood that they couldn't, they could, there was nothing they could do in their own works. So, so when they say, I've come too far by faith, they're looking back at instances in their life where they've had to entrust themselves to the Lord. And by entrusting themselves to the Lord, they've seen the Lord give up. Because the end of that verse says, he's never failed me yet. And so, so when, the old, when they sing that song, that's why most times when you see that song, everybody is broke out. They, they, they done. Because there's a, there's a remembering of what God has done when you've, put, when you've placed faith in him and entrusted yourself to him, and then you've seen him come through. And the beauty is, see, see the difficulty with us today, some of us young is, is we don't know how to wait for God to come through. See, we, we, we think you, you think you're calling it faith because you prayed that day and then the next day you're trying to work it out in your own. No, 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 no. Faith is praying and waiting, waiting on the Lord to do something because you've entrusted yourself to him and you believe he's going to do it. Led by the Spirit. So the Spirit takes an active participation in the life of the believer once you've yielded yourself to him to continue to draw you into truth and into life and into godliness, right? So if you're led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean that you'll never sin again, but what he means is that your life isn't characterized by rebellion. See, see, see the, law, the, law, the, law, the law brings about the, the recognition of sin, Right? And, and sin is what? The re, your rebellion against the law of God. And so now Paul is saying, he's saying here, listen, your life shouldn't be characterized if you're led by the Spirit by a rebellion of the law of God. All right, now we're going to get into some, some stuff here. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. What does that mean? People reveal their true selves in their actions. You can run your mouth all you want to. You can run your mouth all you want to. If your life don't match up with what you're saying, I'm more inclined to believe what you're doing rather than what's coming out of your mouth. 
It's, it's easy, it's easy to, to have diarrhea of the gums where everything come out. Yeah, I said it. I said it. But does your life look like that? That's, that's how you can tell. That's how you, that's how you can tell authenticity. Does your life mirror what you're saying? The deeds of the flesh are evident. They can't be hidden. They're out in public. You can't cover over it. The deeds of the flesh are always exposed. There's no hiding. So let's look, let's look at some of them. Let's just look at some of them. So the deeds of the flesh are evident. They're exposed. Sexual immorality. Uh, that's where we get our word porn- pornography from. Uh, often translated uh, uh, fornication. Uh, it refers to any and all forms of illicit sexual relationships. Any and all forms of illicit sexual relationships outside of the covenantal vow of marriage. Any and all. If you wrote that down, underline any and all. Do I need to go in detail? Amen. Okay, I didn't think I needed to. Any and all. Impurity. It's the, it's the term referring to moral uncleanness in thought, word, and deed. Moral uncleanness in thought, word, and deed. Uh, your next word says sensuality, but I like the, the old King James which says debauchery because it just sounds vile and nasty. It, it sounds like what it is, debauchery. It, 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 it connotes an open, uh, shameless, uh, brazen display of, of uh, sexual irresponsibility. It implies a public flaunting of sexual desires. Uh, that knows no bounds or social inhibitions. Your stuff just all out there. You don't care where you do it, how you do it, when you do it, and who watching you. Idolatry, the worship of any God besides the Lord Jesus. Your next word is sorcery, uh, which, which some say witchcraft. Uh, and it's it's... In the Greek, it's where we get our word pharmacy from. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. And so what used to happen was, basically, these cats used to get high for worship to create trances for themselves. So they would just, they would just get some drugs, get high, and then go do their thing in, in, in idol worship. It's where we get our word pharmacy from. All right. Next, hatred. Uh, primarily a feeling of enmity between groups that has no hope for reconciliation. Discord, the natural result of hatred. Uh, uh, what we, we call it, today we call it you, beef. You got a beef. And, and you know, you, if your name, if there's always drama and your name is always in it, you're a person of discord. If... If somebody always got an issue and it's always with you, you're a person of discord. Jealousy, not the godly kind, but the self-centered type. This, this is what I mean. Not being satisfied in what God has given you. Fits of rage, outbursts of, of a temper. Usually that, that person who has unhealthy emotional expression and keeps it bottled up and then will just blow up on you. Like just, a, just a, a, an angry anger. Selfish ambition. 
the self-aggrandizing or the self-puffing up attitude which shows itself uh, in the working to get ahead at others' expense. Dissensions and factions describes what happens when people quarrel over issues or personalities causing hurtful divisions. Envy, a feeling, an evil feeling, a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to someone else. And then you have drunkenness, the excessive use of strong drink, and orgies, uh, basically, literally means wild parties, usually involving uh, alcohol or drunkenness and uh, sexual immorality. And so, and then Paul says after that, so he, he names this whole list, and then he says, and things like these, Right? Why does Paul say that? Because he knows some of y'all are going to take this list and say, as long as I don't do what he named, I'm good. <laughs> y'all know I ain't lying. That's why he said, and things like these, because he knows how foul y'all are. So he says, listen, I'm not even just, just know this is not an exhaustive list. I'm just giving you a few. I could spend another few chapters kind of naming out some more. But just so you know, anything that's in relationship or has connection to these things, don't do it. And so he has to get very practical with these guys. He said, listen, I want you to experience authentic freedom. If these, if these are the character of your life, if your life is characterized or marked by these things, then you're indulging in the desires of the flesh. Right? And so then he says, he says and things like these, uh, and then he goes on. Uh, in the second half of the verse, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things uh, will not inherit uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, and so Paul already had to warn them, and now he goes to warn them again. Uh, and so uh, basically what he's saying is those who make a, a practice of doing these things, those who habitually do these things. That's why uh, the apostle John in 1 John says, he says, uh, if you make a practice of sinning, you, ha you've, you haven't been born of God. If you make a habit of sinning, you haven't been born of God, right? And so he says, your life shouldn't be marked or characterized by these things. And then he goes on, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, and self-control. Uh, the thing I like about this is uh, when Paul starts here, notice how the word fruit uh, is not in a plural sense. It's a singular. He says, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means that everything he's about the name has a unity of, of one, which means what? Every believer should have these. That means that you shouldn't, you can't, you, you can't just walk in here and say, and, and, and say, man, I got love and joy and peace, but self-control ain't there. You, it's, he's, as a believer, if you're walking by the Spirit, every believer should be marked by these things. That's why Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 says, he says, uh, he lists a bunch of other qualities as well, but then he gets to the end and he says, he says, if you have these and are growing, you will be rendered neither useless nor unfruitful in the kingdom. So what does that mean? That believe, you as a believer should be experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, and you should be growing in it. If not, can you imagine what it would be like to stand before God and he, told, he called you a, useful, a useless Christian, a useless servant, because you were unwilling to yield yourself to the Spirit to walk in the fruit? 
So there's a unity here. Where he, there's a unity which says every believer should have these, not just one, not just some, but all of these. You should be experiencing all of these in your life. So let's, let's look at them. Love, uh, the great, one of the, the greatest quality. It's a, it's a self-sacrifice for the benefit of another. So if you love someone, there should be some self-sacrificing going on. If you don't sacrifice yourself, then we, I have to question whether it's love. Joy, listen to this, joy, is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. John 15, 11, uh, uh, let my joy abide in you that your joy may be full, right? Um, it does not depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. Joy. Peace, the product of God having reconciled sinners to himself so that they are no longer his enemies. That's why Ephesians says that, that Christ, he himself, is our peace, having torn down the wall of hostility between God and man, right? Uh, it, uh, it is an inner repose and quietness, even in the face of adverse circumstances. It defies human understanding. Peace. Patience shows that Christians are following God's plan and timetable rather than their own. That they have abandoned their own ideas about how the world should work. Biblical patience in the Old Testament uh, was, was translated as long or slow. So they would say God is long or he's slow to anger, right? I like the old word. It says long-suffering, right? Uh, it includes the idea of forbearance and patient endurance of wrong under ill treatment without anger or thought of revenge. Yes. Kindness. Showing goodness, generosity, and sympathy towards others. Translated loving kindness or a good goodness. It comes from the covenantal love between God and his people. Goodness, the, the working, working for the benefit of others. Working for the benefit of others. Faithfulness, consistently doing what you said you would do. Faithfulness, consistently doing what you said you would do. Steadfast in affection or allegiance, true to the facts, it implies an unswerving adherence to a person or thing. It implies a firm resistance to any temptation to desert or betray. Gentleness, a kindness that marks a person who is, in, is, who is considerate of others when correction is needed. And then self-control, the discipline uh, that allows Christians to resist the power of the flesh, denotes self-mastery, uh, uh, curbing the fleshly impulses. Um, this quality is impossible to attain without the power of God. Uh, in Corinthians 9 and 7, it's, it's used to describe uh, self-control over uh, sexual desire, and also it's used to describe uh, someone training for the Olympic Games or for, for uh, like an athlete training his body, self-control. Right. Uh, look at look with me at uh, verse twenty three b. So so Paul's laying out for them. He said, "This is what." So when we talk about uh, before we go to verse twenty three, when we talk about when we look at sixteen, and he says, "Walk by the Spirit," and he's like, "Listen, I need to show you what the Spirit is like, like what his character is like, what he does." He says, "If you walk by the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, then He'll lead you to these things. He'll lead you. He'll lead you to love. He'll lead you to gentleness." He'll lead you to self-control, 
right? And so then it says, uh, at verse 23b, against such things, there is no law. So you can, you can look at laws have been created, and I guarantee you none of them say that you can't do any of these. If you look at the works of the flesh, you can find a law for every one of them. There's a law, there's an actual law on the books for every one of them. So for, for, he says, there is no law for these. What, is, what does that mean? He was like, there's no limit on how much you can do this. Like this, this you, you don't have to be strapped down by how much you can experience or how much you can give out any of these qualities. Nobody's going to be mad at you if you do this. It's not going to hurt your spiritual life. Matter of fact, it's not going to hurt somebody else's spiritual life. He said, you can do this. If you're going to indulge in anything, indulge in these. If you're going to be known by anything, be known by these. Nobody's going to stop you from doing this. You've never had an issue with somebody because they loved you too much or because they were too patient with you, right? He's, he's, listen, you're, you're, not bound, you're not bound by these. You can freely experience and express every single one of these. So he's saying, he's saying there's no such law, which I want, you to, I want you to do this as much as possible because you have a freedom to. And Christ, by the power of the Spirit, has freed you to choose to do these. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh uh, with its passions and desires. Jesus died on the cross, and uh, when he died, he put to open shame the enemy. And when he died on the cross, he, what he took with him and nailed to the cross was, was guilt Shame, condemnation, uh, sin, death, all of those things. He took that and nailed it to the cross with him so that you're no longer bound by them. So that you, you no longer have to. See, before, before you trusted Christ, you had no choice. You couldn't do anything else. There was nothing you could do. There's nothing you can do. If you haven't trusted Christ, there's nothing you can You can't experience the, the fruit of the Spirit. You can't do it because these are, these are acts that, that come by the Spirit. They're Spirit-injected, right? They're, they're not man-made. And so what Christ did was when he took that stuff and nailed it to the cross, he did that positionally. And so now he's saying, I want you to realize uh, what, what I've already done for you positionally. I want you to experience that practically in your lives. Again, that you're not bound to sin. You're no, you're no longer bound to your fleshly impulses and your fleshly desires, you're not bound to that. You're free in Christ to experience love, joy, peace, kindness, uh, uh, patience, self-control. You're free to experience that because that's what he secured for you on the cross. He secured it for you. So as we get, as we get ready to close, listen, what Paul's trying to get across to, to the, Galatia, the church at Galatia, he's saying... I want you to experience fully everything that God has done for you that you already have access to. This is an actual thing, not a potential. We're not talking about potentials like you could potentially utilize the gifts of the Spirit he's, he's, he, or the fruit of the Spirit. He's, this, is not a, this is an actual, Christ actually 
did something on the cross supernaturally, which gives you the freedom to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Will you give yourself to him so that he can lead you into it? Will you give yourself to the spirit so he can lead you into it? Will you, will you do it? Because the, where the works of the flesh are evident, again, they can't hide. Where, where, the, where the works of the flesh show up, that's you being unwilling to yield yourself to the spirit. Just know, it's when you don't yield yourself to the spirit and the works of the flesh become apparent in your life, that's you unwilling to yield yourself to the spirit. Why can I say that? Because, because you can't, you're not going to choose to do that on your own. You're not going to choose to be selfish, I mean, to be, be self-controlled or be patient. You don't like to do those things because the, the primary objective of the flesh is the flesh is about you. The flesh wants you to be about you, and your sinful nature wants you to be about you too. So you tend to side with the flesh. So just know when, when, when the fruit of the Spirit is apparent in your life, that's, a, that's the work of God. When the, when the flesh is evident in, in, in your life, that's, that's typically what you enjoy doing because you like being about you. But, but when the Spirit of God makes himself present in your life in a supernatural way, that's when you've given yourself over and entrusted yourself to the Spirit. That's how you know, and it's evidence. That's why he called it works, and he gives, he gives actual works, and then he calls it fruit and gives actual fruit. These are actions. He said this is the ID card of a true believer who's walking in freedom in Christ. Do you have your ID card? Because you need one. Don't be mad if somebody tells you to look at 2 Corinthians 5.13, which says examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. If they're, at, if they're telling you that, it's because there's no fruit evidence in your life. You can't produce an ID card. So for us as believers, our ID cards need to be on display all the time. All the time. I'm going to get out your way. Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for your spirit. We thank you for your spirit who's able, uh, who is power, uh, and who, who lends himself uh, and, and makes it his primary mission and goal to make us all look like Jesus. Uh, we would be uh, absolutely nowhere without him. And so we're so grateful that you would send us uh, not a substandard God, but uh, a spirit who's fully God uh, in, in all of his ways uh, and can lead us into truth and into love. Uh, and, and, and into a, a place where our lives uh, are, are growing and being transformed into the image of Christ. And so, God, I pray that your spirit would so be at work in us, Lord. Uh, I pray we would fight to be free, free from sin. I pray we would fight to walk and, and, and in, the, in, in the ways of the spirit to get to know him. I pray we wouldn't be afraid of saying no to sin. I pray that you would break some bonds that are in here today. I pray you would free some souls today, God from their bondage so that they can experience true, authentic, biblical freedom in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that you're, doing, that you're going to do it. We're praying that you're doing it now, and we're believing you, God, so that we're looking forward to times where we can joy, rejoice with one another uh, from seeing the evidence of the fruit displayed in our lives. And so we pray that today in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.